Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help.
Good morning. So it's that time of year again. Uh, it's my favorite time of year, and it's that time of year where we get to wear stretchy pants for some extra meals and food that we're eating. Uh, it's also that time of year where families gather and a lot of fun memories are made. And it's also my kids, and mostly any kids, favorite time of year where you get presents, of course. But for some of us, this time of year is also the time of year where our bank accounts suffer, where debt, where we take on extra debt to pay for these things that we want to satisfy a little bit of that uh, consumerism in us. Sometimes it satisfies for a few days. If we're lucky, it could be for a couple weeks. And sometimes for some of us, this time of year produces more stress than it does joy. So this is the message series that we're in, stress less in this time of year uh, can be stressful. Sometimes we have painful memories around this time. And I don't want to put necessarily a downer on this time of year. Like I said, it's my favorite time of year. I love it. I love getting and giving gifts. But uh, as I've been pre preparing for this message, it's pretty staggering, some of the numbers. So we as Americans spend 10 times the amount of money on this holiday of Christmas than any other holiday or time during the year. And a Forbes recent study just came out, thinks that we're going to topple $1 trillion in total American spending around Christmas as a whole. That's never happened in history before. It's a crazy amount of money. $1 trillion is going to be spent this year on Christmas. And what's even more staggering is that we as Americans uh, have $5 trillion in non-housing debt. So the housing debt's like $17 trillion, but the non-housing debt is $5 trillion between us. So the average American has about $30,000 in debt right now for student loans, for cars, for credit cards or personal loans. So no wonder this time of year can cause stress. And I'll be honest, I was super convicted of this this last week. Uh, I was looking more at Amazon than I was reading my Bible or spending time with God and praying. That scale was tipped pretty drastically. And the Holy Spirit convicted me of it. And I, we all do it. I mean, we all try to justify it. I tried to justify it by saying, well, I was just trying to buy things at a good deal or a bargain. You know, well, that thing was $100 off. I'm saving $100, but I'm still spending, you know, $300 to save that $100, right? So you're not really saving anything. I also try to justify it by saying, well, I'm buying all these things for other people. But I'm not going to lie, I was looking and browsing way too much for myself in the moment. And Amy and I were kind of joking about this because, you know, we've been feeling pretty content up, you know, all this fall. And then as soon as that first Christmas commercial comes on, we immediately start thinking, well, we got to get some lists out. we got to start making our own list. we got to make a list for our boys. And that list grew really quick, really fast. Didn't take long for us to go, well, here's all the things that we want. And to even like feel beyond that and be like, well, these aren't just the things we want. Now we need these things, right? We take it a whole step further. It's because that greed just tends to creep in so quickly and it's hard to let it go. And I would love to say that I'm generous with people. I like to, to say that about myself, but uh, honestly, I've been feeling quite the opposite. The only person I want to be generous with is myself. Or sometimes we give gifts expecting for something in return as well this season. Now, again, it's not my hope to get us down about the Christmas season. Instead, uh, I want us to look at what Scripture has to say so that we can enjoy the season from a God point of view and what the Bible says about finances. So... This morning, we're going to look at a couple different passages. I'm also going to bring up somebody who's way more qualified than myself to talk about finances here uh, in a little bit. But before we do, let's, uh, let's pray and go before the Lord to speak this morning. Um, God, Lord, we just ask that you would show up this morning, 
uh, in this time. Lord, would your Holy Spirit convict us of ways that um, we need to grow closer to you. Lord, that we need to honor you with our finances. And God, would you um, use your word? Would you use other people? Would you use um, Alex this morning and myself to, uh, to share this news that you graciously uh, paid our debt, Lord, by dying on the cross for our sins. So, Lord, we ask that you'd be in this time now and speak this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the two passages we're going to be in this morning are Luke chapter 12, verse 13, and we're also going to be in Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24. Um, and so where we're going to start is in this Luke passage, and uh, Jesus is found teaching a crowd of people in this passage of Luke 12. And he's talking to all sorts of people. He's talking to Pharisees, he's talking, which are kind of the religious leaders of the time. He's talking to lawyers. Uh, he's talking to his own disciples. And this crowd is numbering over thousands, it says. Thousands of people is what it says a couple of verses prior to Luke uh, verse 12, or sorry, Luke 13. Um, and it says that there were so many people in this crowd that they were literally trampling over each other to try to hear what Jesus was saying. It kind of sounds like Black Friday a couple years ago just to hear what Jesus is going to say. But they're wanting so bad to know what this man, who just a couple of verses prior, a whole chapter a day earlier, has been casting out demons and healing people. And so thousands of people are lining up. So let's pick up in verse 13, chapter 12. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So here he is talking to you know, thousands of people teaching them, and this guy just interjects and asks this question out of nowhere, a really personal question of all things. It's kind of like whenever, you know, your kids is like trying to talk to you about the other sibling and wants the parent like to make that decision and make it really loud for him to hear. It's almost like his brother's probably standing somewhere in the crowd as well. Uh, but he's like, you know, hey, I want my money. And Jesus kind of snaps at him. He's like, hey, who am I to solve your family drama or money? There are way more important things here. But Jesus humors him and then answers in the next verse. He says, and he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So this is a really important verse. I know Blake said it a couple weeks ago, but if you um, have a highlighter or you can highlight this verse, I would recommend highlighting it because in the NIV it also uses the word greed. So it's guard against all covetousness, guard against all greed. So be on your guard against greed. What a powerful line. And there's no accident that Jesus says it this way. Because in this time of year, we were just talking about how we want, and then we want, and then we want some more, right? It's easy. It creeps in. And there are full-time marketers whose job is literally to make you as a consumer and I as a consumer want things, right? There are a thousand people who have these jobs that are literally driving us to want and want and want. They don't even want us to just say, I want that. They want us to go even a step further and say, I need that. So there are thousands of people tempting us and thousands of companies as well. So we need to fight against it. Now, Jesus drives this home even further by kind of bringing up a parable. So this is a, a story that Jesus is telling, and he says, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds a little bit like the American dream, does it not? This guy wanted to increase the size of his current barns because he had such a great year, right? 
many of us look at that and maybe initially think, well, good for him. You know, he's having a great year. Yeah, he's, he's a business owner. He should grow his business. He should do these things. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't describe him as just a man. He describes him as a rich man. So he's already rich. He has a great year. So keep that in mind as we continue here. God then, uh, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus calls this one who's trying to live out his American dream a fool. And the reality is, is that our lives could be taken at any moment. So then what are we storing it up for is the point that he's trying to make. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying that God will take your life as a result of storing things up. He did to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts, but that's a whole other message for another time. Uh, he does just mean that when that day comes, what are you storing it up for? This rich man, this already rich man, who's had this record year, instead of blessing others and giving back to God richly, like he could have, he chose to store even more than he already had, than he needed. When we are blessed, we should be blessing to others. Jesus, in another part of Scripture, jumping over to Matthew 6, verse 19 and 24, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Are you kind of seeing a similarity between these passages? So when Jesus says that we've prepared all these things, whose who's will they be whenever you die? It'll be the moss, the rust, and the thieves. Continuing on in Matthew, it says, For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So, really powerful. I think there's a whole nother sermon that could be had here as well. But, you know, I confessed that I was tipping the scales and looking at Amazon a lot recently, and I could feel that. I'm not saying that Amazon necessarily is evil, but what I was doing was just very selfish in looking at all these things that I want for Christmas or this time of year. And so my eyes were unhealthy. I would pray that we would not have those type of eyes this season, because how great is that darkness that dwells up in us? Because we're so vulnerable to the threat of greed and want. They can enter in so quickly through our eyes and corrupt our hearts. All right, let's continue. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right, we've probably all heard that money itself isn't bad. It's a helpful tool that can be used to do great things in the world. Yes, 100% totally agree. However, it's also, it also gives us something as humans that nothing else in life can. Money gives us a God-like power. What I mean by that is, is whenever we get a certain amount of money in our bank account, you know, we've all done it. We kind of get that feeling of like, hey, I got this. I'm crushing it. I don't need anybody's help. I can kind of handle whatever life throws at me. It provides us that, that security and safety and pride. But who really has our life in their hands? It's God. Who really controls our safety and security? It's God. And debt even more so. 
having a certain amount on your credit card, whether it's a $5,000 limit, $10,000 limit, whatever it is, you can go and really buy anything you need to at a moment's notice. Oh, the new phone came out? Well, you can just swipe for that. I don't have time to make dinner tonight? Well, I can just swipe for that. And it feels good. It feels good to be able to do those things immediately. Serving the money master feels good and feels powerful. But the people in Bible times didn't have credit cards or some of these things, and so it was a little more real for them to be able to rely on God for these next things that were coming. We don't have to do that as much as Americans, so it's even more so in our lives how much more can greed tempt us. And I think every single swipe of the card can push us away from God. Money promises us that we'll be happy. It tries at least, I mean, whenever we feel like we get that certain amount, whether you feel like you got $10,000 in your savings account or $100,000, whatever that number is that you feel like, if I just get this amount in my bank account, I'll feel good, I'll feel comfortable. That's never really the ending place, is it? I have yet to see anybody become content with a certain amount of money in their bank account. Money tells us also that you can look younger by using fancy creams and moisturizers. Also tells us that we can look cool to our friends with the stuff that we have or the cars that we drive. But in reality, none of these things are really what God cares about. He doesn't care if you look younger. He doesn't care if you wear fancy clothes. Money is a counterfeit God, and it promises us only what God can provide. Money makes a lot of empty promises. God has never made a promise he hasn't kept. If we serve money, and one day the money runs out, then what? Just as we read here in these passages, right? Like the rich man, if, if his life is taken away, what happens to everything? It doesn't matter. What if one day your health isn't what it, it used to be? Or what if your son needs a bi-weekly transfusion for the rest of his life? What then is money going to do? Money can't fix those things. Only God can. And in the transverse, so what, is, what does a life look like then serving God instead? Well, I want to look at Proverbs 3, uh, verse 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Again here, the barns, right? It's that storehouses. It's like the opposite of the parable in Luke. Instead of the guy who builds more space for barns and storage, if he was to just give to God first, he wouldn't have to worry. A similar and powerful verse is in Malachi 3, verses 10. It says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, the Lord says. This is God's house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Here's what God promises. When we are rich towards him and generous to his purposes, God gives us more than enough. When we tithe first, whenever we give first, we think about, instead of thinking about all the things that we can buy for ourselves, God blesses that. God blesses it and will actually give you a financial increase. And I don't say that in a health and wealth sense by any means. I mean in a contentment sense. God rewards those who give generously to make you more content with what you have. He'll make you, one, he'll make you and your wife more unified in your marriage. He'll make your kids more joyful in tough seasons. God will give you a community around you that will love you and celebrate good times with you and weather the bad times as well through you. And so Satan uses money to deceive us. Money lies about providing all these different things, right? We think if we just have enough money, we'll be unified with our wife in marriage. It's not true. Only God can do that. See, if your eyes are healthy looking toward God, your whole body will be healthy. 
God will give you blessings that money lies about providing. Jesus knew this, and he challenged us, challenged his followers at that time, and he challenges us as followers now to not go the way of the stereotypical American dream, to take on unnecessary debt, to store up these treasures or things in our life to just make us more comfortable. When we focus on comfort instead of God's mission, we end up stressed, which is what we need to do less of. So to kind of help speak about this in a more granular way, I want to introduce Alex Goldstein. Many of you know him. He is a financial advisor. He and Morgan have um, led a group here at Connect Church for years, and they've taught uh, Dave Ramsey's FPU course as well, and they've helped tons of couples turn financial stress into freedom. So more importantly, uh, he loves the crud out of Jesus, which I think qualifies him more than anything. So please welcome Alex up here as well. He warned me one of the chairs <laughs> might bounce a little bit, but yeah, good morning. Thanks for doing this with us. So, of course, of course. So Alex has helped me and my wife um, as well in our financial journey, which has been awesome. And so, yeah, I wanted to have him come up and share a little bit more beyond what I could. Uh, you're more qualified than I am to talk about finances anyways. Plus, I think your heart around it is just really, really good and genuine and would be helpful for our people here at church, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah, so I'm gonna ask Alex a couple questions here. Uh, the first being, you know, what, what would you say to somebody who's really stressed regarding money and feeling even more stressed going into this holiday season? Yeah, I would say it's, a, it's extremely normal. Um, and you talked on it, right? And the kind of the key piece to that, that you feel in your own life, you feel your own stress is the debt, right? And what's hard is, you look around and everybody's buying everybody expensive gifts. You know, somebody's driving the nice car, going on the vacation, the nicer shoes, whatever it might be, right? We play this comparative game. And so it's very normal, especially in our area, to have nice things, to have nice experiences. But what also is extremely normal that you don't see is the financial stress. Is most So seven out of 10 Americans, and those statistics are true for our area as well, live paycheck to paycheck. Four out of 10 Americans can't afford a $400 emergency. Okay, so really what that means is, hey, if you're at a Broncos game and you know the whole stadium stands up, four out of 10 people in that stadium don't have $400 to, you know, if an emergency comes up. But what they do have are the tickets to the Broncos game, the experiences, everything like that, right? And that's that power that debt gives us is we can have the things we want before we can actually afford them, right? And so, Really what I think is very important to understand and for everybody to know is comparatively speaking, you might wanna be keeping up with what other people are doing, but the only way most people do that is through debt and that's where the stress comes from. So my big encouragement is to, if, you want, if you're doing what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is doing is lead to stress, what you need to do is something different, right? And it's hard because it's very, very different. And what that looks like is um, using this holiday season as a catalyst, right? Think about this. Think about if you were going into this holiday season, you didn't have a $700 a month car payment. You didn't have a $600 a month student loan. You didn't have a $500 a month credit card bill, right? You had excess where you could actually go and enjoy experiences. You could give gifts, right? And it's not adding that stress into it. You can get there, but use this holiday season as that first stepping point, 
right? You could dig yourself further into debt this holiday season and then be sitting in next year and like you talked about, the luster wears off, right? The gift that you gave someone, they, they might forget about it, right? The, the new toy you get yourself, it might bring you joy for a day or for a week, but that's gonna be gone before you know it, but the financial stress and that payment's gonna be there on the other side of it. So give during the season. That doesn't mean don't give, right? But you can find unique ways to do it. You can share memories with, or you know, experiences with someone, cook them a nice meal, write them an encouraging letter. But I would say if you're feeling stressed going into this holiday season, understand that you can be different. You can still show love, you can still give gifts, um, but use this as a starting point to, rather than going more into debt, start taking those small steps forward towards um, becoming debt-free. Mm. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, so in, in that kind of same vein, you know, I, I talked about the, the whole barn thing and, you know, not storing up more than we should, but what does a biblical lifestyle kind of look like, you know, versus what a cultural lifestyle, you know, tells us that yeah. we should be? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a huge piece to kind of decipher, okay, what's a culture pressure and what's a biblical perspective, right? And kind of wrapping up the last point too, especially in this season with our kids or with our grandkids, we can so easily have this pressure to want to have them come down to the full tree, right? You can have this pressure to make sure that they have all the gifts that they want and the desire is to bless them, right? The desire is to make them happy. However, there's a huge, there's a huge difference between a desire to bless someone and being positioned to bless someone. And one last encouragement I wanted to share with kids and grandkids is giving, you can give them the gift of teaching them what you're doing. Hey, mom and dad aren't doing as many gifts this year because we're trying to manage our finances wisely, right? And teach them. We don't, we aren't taught, right? How many of us actually grew up in our homes and understanding how to manage money uh, wisely? Very, very few. So give that gift to your kids, right? Explain why there aren't as many trees under, or gifts underneath the Christmas tree. I promise that's going to be the best gift that you can give them. And then to the point on like, cult, so I, I see that as a cultural perspective. You love them by putting a lot of presents under the tree. I would say that's a cultural perspective, right? Mm. Biblically speaking, it's very hard to say this is the exact prescription of what your lifestyle should look like, right? How should you spend? How should you give? How should you save? There's so many great principles that scripture gives us, but there's no prescriptive that every single person should, you know, give this much, save this much, and spend this much. So I think what's important to understand is taking in scripture as a whole, you know, uh, you know, like the verse you were just talking about, don't store up for something in the future. But then there's passages in Proverbs that say the wise have, you know, choice food and oil or be like the ant and essentially save up food for the winter, right? So how do we take these kind of conflicting ideas that might feel conflicting, but let scripture interpret scripture and who is Jesus to lead to this, um, you know, biblical lifestyle. And I think three things you can do to kind of check those markers are contentment, generosity, and enjoyment, okay? And I wrote this down because I know I was not gonna memorize it. But I love this definition of contentment, which is having no regrets of the past, no fear of the future, and no envy in the present. So again, that's the def a definition of contentment being having no regrets of the past, no fear of the future, and no envy in the present. Being content where God has you right now, right? And envy in the present is so often what can lead us towards um, swiping that credit card, doing the buy now, pay later method, right? So what can we do right now to be content um, in the present? Uh, and then also 
understanding that we're not going to have fear of the future, right? We're not going to worry about having so much laid up in our barns that we're going to put our feet up and, you know, relax all easy because that's, that's not the heart either. We need to be trusting God with, what, with where he has us right now. Um, generosity, that is a keystone of a biblical lifestyle, right? So you talked about it with the giving, you talked about it with the tithing, but even more so than that, it's this posture of being open-handed, right? We're managing money that God gives us. And if you have an open hand, then he can put money in and he can take money out. If you're tight-fisted, you might be holding on to the little bit that you have, but the hand isn't open to be able to give in more, right? And to be able to flow through and bless other people. And one thing, you know, in, in, my, in my business, in my practice, generosity is the number one kind of marker on if someone's stressing about their finances. And what I mean by that is you can have a person worth tens of millions of dollars. If they're not generous, I promise you they're still stressed. They are still so stressed because they're, they're holding on to it. And all that they've gained with their wealth is something to lose, right? And that's what they think about. They just gained it. So now they're worried about losing it. You can have a couple that might even be paycheck to paycheck and they're being, um, you know, maybe they didn't make great decisions in the past, but they're being faithful with what they're doing right now and going forward. And they're being generous. They have way more peace and way less stress in their finances. So um, seek that generosity. And if it's not with big dollar amounts this Christmas time, that's okay. Give your time, give your encouragement, give skills that you have to bless people. And then lastly, which is honestly my biggest struggle is the enjoyment piece. I still, you know, it's, it is biblical to enjoy the fruits of the labor and to enjoy the gifts that God does give you, right? Not everything needs to be stressful. Give yourself permission. Hey, if you're having family over and you've saved up and you budgeted to give them a nice meal, right? And to present a meal before people, but it costs maybe a little bit extra than what you were thinking, don't let that stress tear you down either. Enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. Because what's the point of doing it if you're not gonna enjoy it? So be wise, live, live below your means, don't use debt, but also these purchases and these experiences we're doing with loved ones, enjoy it during the season. It's really good, thanks. So, you know, that's kind of, yeah, a little bit more high level financial lifestyle entailing, you know, some of these things being, you know, open-handed and generous and enjoying those great gifts, receiving gratitude. I think that's awesome. Um, so I guess where does retirement and kind of saving for the future come into play then? You know, because retirement, I've heard Christians say retirement's not in the Bible or, you know, store up more than you should. So what would you kind of say to that? That's the number one question I get from people is, or statement is retirement's not in the Bible. So why should I be saving for the future? Or how should I be thinking about that? Shouldn't I just trust God, right? Or we weren't called to not work. So I love the heart behind that um, because it is asking the right questions, but it's also understanding what definition of retirement are you looking at, right? Because for us, when we think of retirement, most people are probably thinking, I'm gonna work as hard as I can, save as much as I can, so at as young of an age as I can, I can do whatever I want. And that's what we define as financial freedom, having enough money to do whatever you want. Whereas I see financial freedom as being free from the grasp of money on your life, right? Being positioned to do what God has called you to do. And so um, this like retirement as vacation is what I like to call it, right? Hey, okay, I just worked as hard as I could, grinded, 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 you know, uh, sacrifice now, but hey, I'm 55, I can retire and go spend my time on the beach, golfing, vacations, whatever I wanna do, right? 
That's the typical thing of retirement. I do agree with that. That is not biblical and that does not lead to a fulfilling life, right? It's self-focused and it doesn't lead to a fruitful life. How, but to also say that retirement isn't in the Bible is also not true. Um, in, uh, oh, sorry, it's up here. I just didn't remember the verse. Okay, so in Numbers, in the book of Numbers in chapter 8, um, verses 23 through 26 state that, hey, for those Levites who are working in the art of meeting, from ages 25 to 50, you're to be working in the temple doing the duties. From age 50 and beyond, you're supposed to retire from those duties. But here's the thing. It's not just retiring from the duties of the temple. They're called to a new task. And that new task that they're moving into is um, ministering to the brothers, to the younger people, and to keep guard, right? And so what that says is that gives me the reality that we all have different seasons in our life where we're best used, right? Hey, in this example, from age 25 to 50, they were the younger men that were best used for the duty in the temple. After that, what did they have? They had decades of wisdom. They had decades of experience. They had decades of um, knowledge and ministering that, they, that the young men needed, right? And so, uh, and that's also true for us, okay? We're not gonna, no matter how much we want, it's, I think it's unwise to think, hey, I'm gonna be 80 years old. I'm gonna be in great health. I'm not gonna have any disabilities and I'm gonna be able to jump into the workforce and still provide for my family, right? And so I think we can pull from the principles of the ant, as I mentioned in Proverbs, from even Joseph with the famine coming in Egypt and saying, there's gonna be a season where I'm not gonna be able to work, right? But it's not having the heart like the man did of the American dream of I wanna store up whatever I can to experience whatever I want, but it's I wanna be in a position where I don't have to go to a nine to five job to provide for my family, but I have savings, I have assets to be able to provide that income for me so that I can retire into something else during that season. Ministering, right? Being there with your grandkids, um, being there for the church, pouring into younger people because I promise you we need it, right? I promise you we need it. We don't need a culture where young people are overworked and burnt out and then the older people are so burnt out that they just wanna you know, check out and live for themselves. I promise you that's not what we need. So I love this picture of kind of a quote unquote biblical retirement of aiming for something greater than yourself and wisely saving up because the reality is there's going to be a season where you probably won't be able to provide for yourself. I like that. That's really wise. Um, well, I know that we could stay up here forever. We've talked about in the prep a little bit that uh, this could be hours and hours long of conversation, but what would be kind of the one last point if you had to kind of leave with everybody? here today, what would, you, what would you say? Yeah, I would say to the, you know, cause everyone's in a different situation, right? So to the one who's really stressed right now and doesn't have much financial margin to be doing anything this holiday season, what I would encourage you on is be hopeful. Like I love in Zechariah where it talks about, do not despise small beginnings, okay? Any single person you see, whether they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever it is, and they're in a more financially stable place, I promise you it took them decades to get there. Okay. There's no quick fixes. There's no, um, you know, easy way to get there. So I'd say don't despise small beginnings and make faithful steps right now. Like you can take little steps. I'm not going to add to my credit card and I'm even going to pay it off a little bit in December. This next year, I want to pay off my credit cards. In two years, I want to be debt free. I know that sounds small, but do not despise the small beginnings. I promise you I've seen hundreds of stories where people have made little changes and it's had huge impact over time. And then, um, to those who uh, 
have maybe been making those steps, but they feel like every time they take one step forward, they take two steps back, okay? They finally paid off their debt and have some savings, but then an emergency happened, and they feel like it was all for naught. I promise you, stay the course and be patient. This stuff happens. Financial progress takes a long time and there's a lot of seasons. So don't go into the mindset of, I was trying to do this, I was trying to be debt free and I still can't get anywhere, so I'm just gonna use it anyways. Don't buy into that lie, stay patient, and I promise you that um, uh, things will continue to get better. And then I think there's a verse up here that I would say to the one who is wealthy and has set themselves up to with financial options, my big encouragement is this, because this is the end goal, to take, a, take care of life that is truly life. So in Timothy it says, um, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. And I think that's where we can live a life that, that we are stressing less. Mm. Thanks, man. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Yeah. Alex, you need to be up here more often, man. Way to go. Um, so in conclusion, to, to wrap this up, I mean, essentially we can't serve two masters, right? It's kind of the thrux of where we're at is money is tempting for sure. And it's tempting to want to, to do all the things that are exciting and fun and all the things that can provide it that, that immediate satisfaction, as Alex said. But man, putting God first leads to such a better life freedom and stress-free. I know that my wife and I have struggled with this in our marriage here for about nine years of going ups and downs and being in debt and not in debt. And it's, I can tell you, every time we're not in debt is a much more freeing place to be. So as we go into communion now, we do communion at every service. And as we go into it, I want us to, to think about one thing in this same way. You know, financial debt is a stressor, but even more of a stress is our sinful debt. So, you know, we didn't even get into that whole deal. And I, I wish I could have had a little more, yeah, to, to do that. But, you know, our, our sin creates a soul-crushing debt. It separates us from God completely. And instead, Jesus basically comes up, and while we have this huge amount of debt, it's basically like he gives us a check to pay it all off, completely free, as a gift. And it's, our, it's up to us if we're going to take that check from him or not. And, man, so if you guys haven't done that, I would encourage you to pray on that, to to go to Jesus because, yeah, he pays our debt completely. And that's why we take communion each week is because we want to be reminded of that, the fact that he just paid off our debt for us. I mean, can you imagine if you were in crippling debt with student loans and cars and your house and whatever, and Jesus came and just gave you a check for all of it, how happy you would be. It'd be like winning the lottery, and you'd want to be able to go around and tell other people about that and want them to experience that same deal, right? So it's our job as Christians to tell people about that free, uh, free gift that Jesus gives us to tell everybody and confess that Jesus is Lord. And if you actually do need financial advice in any sort of way, uh, you can talk to Alex. Alex um, does, does meet with people for free about their financial situations. I know he's done that with many people in our church before. Um, but if you just feel like you just need to get a grip on it, need even help just figuring out what a budget looks like and how do we make things all work, um, yeah, Alex is a free resource for you to do so. 
Um, and yeah, he's, like I said, he's helped me greatly in that. And if you just want somebody to pray, you know, to pray for you in your situation, if you don't want to get into all that right now, we'd just be happy to pray for you. So um, I'll be up here after the service if you just want to talk and pray. Would love to pray with you. Um, or you can also write a prayer request down on, on a Connect card or on the app, whatever it might be. But yeah, I know that our Connect leadership team loves praying for you guys as a church. And specifically, they love praying. They love praying specifically for you as well. So yeah, if that's of interest to you, it's available. We love you guys uh, as a church. We love what God's doing here at Connect. Um, and we're grateful to be a part. And we just hope that you guys would stress less this season. That was the point of doing this. Chris felt compelled. Um, and whenever he asked me to be a part, you know, we, we feel it, we, we know it, we live in it and, uh, stress is never a fun place to be, but we hope you guys would be less stressed this season. So that concludes today. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, Lord, thanks for your love for us. God, thanks for providing a way Lord, thanks for making it so that we don't have to stress because of our sin. Lord, you paid that debt for us. And we are eternally indebted to you, Lord, and there's nobody better to be indebted to than you, God, creator of everything. And God, uh, you've created this world that we live in and the fact that we can even work and make money and what a great blessing it is, Lord. We are glad to be able to enjoy your creation, but Lord, as we've seen today, it, it tempts us so much. And I just pray that you would guard our hearts against that temptation, especially in this season where uh, it's all about just wanting the next thing and wanting more and more in that desire. So God, would you help us to make wise financial decisions, not only for ourselves and our own heart, but for our family, for our kids, Lord, for the people around us and for future generations. Lord, would you help us to make those decisions, to make long-lasting right decisions. Lord, because debt is something that, gosh, even my grandparents never really even conceived as something. And now today you can pay for anything. Um, God, but we need to rely on you more and I pray that we would do so. God, we love you. We ask all this in your name.